Hebrew series is going to be From the Ashes. We'll be dealing with temptation today. We'll be having a lot of different scriptures, so you probably want your Bibles out. Be ready to flip if you want to read them along with us. Otherwise, I'll be reading them here. And you all got a piece of chocolate. We'll all be getting into that in just a little bit. It'll make sense in just a couple of minutes. And this is going to be a six-week sermon series. And I'm going to be addressing bringing our lives back to normal after the bottom drops out. Sometimes life happens. Sometimes everything seems to go wrong. Sometimes we have this sudden event in our life that's tragic or just so shaking in our core that makes us question everything. One moment you're living life. One moment you're just doing your thing. You're going to work. You're going to school. You're going to to do the things that you do, and you think you have a handle on everything, you're comfortable, and then the next moment, boom, crash. Everything seems to fall out. And you see, feel like you're sitting in a pile of ashes like Job, throwing things up in the air, or throwing dust up in the air and saying, woe is me. And life just has a tendency sometimes to leave us that way, to leave us broken and shattered and destroyed. However, the good news is that we have Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection gives us the experience of a new life. That, no that our lives, no matter how bad we've messed up, no matter how much we have done that to destroy who we are in Him, that we are never irredeemable. If we say this another way, we are never broken beyond repair. And in and through Christ, you can rise above the ashes and experience new life. But this isn't just a series for the broken and shattered. Maybe some of you are like, well, I've never really had an experience like this. This will be a, a series that can help you to grow in your knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is for us. And every week we're going to look at a different aspect of Jesus' life and ministry during his time here on earth that we can learn from that will help us to live during this time. But this week we're going to begin with talking about temptation. And some of the newer people in the faith may not even realize this, but immediately preceding Jesus' earthly life and ministry, before he even got started, he experienced 40 days of temptation in the desert, not eating anything. And that comes to the chocolate. Now, for some of us, resisting chocolate is very difficult, isn't it? We love chocolate. We, I mean, you get around chocolate, and, and you just can't help but eat it. I joked that when I had um, part of my knee, um, knee fix, they, they had to put some donor tendons in there. And I joked that it had to come from a female because all of a sudden I love chocolate. I can't get enough of Lifetime TV, and I get crabby once a month. But... I know I'm going to have to get past all the females to get out of church alive today, but um, that's why I gave you chocolate. Um, but while resisting the temptation of free chocolate is difficult, can you imagine a persistent or prolonged season of it? 
Can you imagine that this is the only thing or the first thing you have been given to eat for 40 days? Now imagine that throughout that 40 days, you're being tempted in every way possible. And now imagine that you're not just being tempted by the normal desires of our hearts or the normal things of this world, but the devil himself has made you his personal project. That's where Jesus is. That's the exact scenario Jesus had to overcome. And as we begin today with a look at, into this season of Jesus' life, we're going to see how we can learn from it and be encouraged by the strength and character and fortitude of our Savior. Let's open with prayer. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you take these words today and you use it to strengthen us. You use it to refocus us. You use us to see that no matter what, None of us can ever be so broken as to be irredeemable before you. Father God, help us to take your word today and place it in our hearts and use it to be victorious in these last days. Help us to not be a church that's going down for the third time and Jesus has to come and, and snatch us before we drown. But we stand here as glorious soldiers of you, waiting for your return. Father God, place that desire in our hearts today as we read your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now I want to talk to you today about temptation. And one of the things that we should not be shocked about is that temptation is natural in this time that we are living in. And what I mean by this time, this, this, we call it the dispensation of grace. This time from Jesus' ministry to right now, or actually fall of Adam and Eve until right now, we have to live with a sin condition in our hearts, a sin condition within the world. So temptation should be expected in our lives. It's just part of being human. It's just part of being who we are. And the great spiritual battle that exists on the outside often works its way out in our own hearts and our own minds. And we experience temptation every day. No one is immune from this. No one is immune from some of the dark desires to have things or to do things that don't, rely, that don't align with the way of Christ. And it comes in many forms and in many ways. It may seem innocent enough. It may start out with a little piece of chocolate. You can eat these now if you want to. Maybe it's sneaking in some social media time at work instead of, instead of working hard for your boss. Maybe it's binging that extra show on Netflix instead of spending time with your family. Maybe it's shaving a few dollars of income off of a tax return. In the eyes of many, that wouldn't seem like a huge problem. That's just, eh, it's just little things. But the Song of Songs says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine, meaning it's always the little things left unchecked that grow into big things. None of us would want a cancer in our body at all. You say, well, it's just a little cancer. It can stay there. It's, it's not hurting me. No, we'd want the doctor to take it out. And so it should be with things and actions um, that don't please God because they're always going to grow into much bigger problems. And this, these can lead to things that can be very devastating. Broken marriages, 
ruined relationships, careers that fall into the toilet, ministries closing down, things that just go on and on. Those little things that left unchecked grow, always grow into big problems. And it does us no good to pretend that we're immune to temptation. And this has been kind of a thing in the church that we never want to admit sometimes that we are tempted by certain things, particularly if they're really, really dark things. We never want to admit to our church family, yeah, I, I struggle with this. Can you pray for me? Can you, can you help me in this? Can you help hold me accountable? We never want to say that because we don't want people to look down upon ourselves. But that's not what the church is supposed to be about. This is not a mausoleum for saints. It's a hospital for the sick. And if you're in a hospital and you have pain, you should probably say something so we can fix it. Amen? It does us no good to pretend that we're immune to this. Or as 1 John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claimed we have not sinned, we made him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And that's 1 John 1, 8 through 10, if you're taking notes. So today, let's just admit to each other that we all deal with temptation. Let's all admit sometimes that sometimes we fail in that temptation. Let's just admit that as much as we want Jesus Christ to perfect us, sometimes we're not perfect. Because when we hide all of this, that's when those little foxes get in there and ruin the entire vine. But how do we manage this? How do we manage temptation? How do we respond to it like Jesus did? Like it wasn't even shaking him. Even after 40 days of being in a desert, 40 days without eating, he still was able to stand rock solid before the very being that caused humanity to fall into sin. How did Jesus do that? Well, it begins with identity. Who are you? Who are you? Before we look into the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4, we need to talk about the event that immediately preceded his 40-day temptation in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it talks about the baptism of Jesus. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, John the Baptist. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus said, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And a voice from heaven said, now watch this. This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now the baptism of Christ is significant 
for many reasons. But for us today, I want you to focus on that verse that I pointed out to you. Verse 17, when he said, This is my son, and with him I am well pleased. I want you to see what God didn't say. God didn't say, okay, good, you finally got that check mark off your spiritual resume. Because you did this, now you can do this. Good, now go out and fulfill your destiny on earth. Or he's shouting in the he-, he didn't shout into the heavens and say, watch out, Satan, my son's coming to get you. He didn't say none of that. God simply said, this is my son. And he said that he loved his son. He said that he is pleased with his son. This right here was Christ's identity. He was the beloved son of the Most High God. This was the key to him standing against temptation. It was such a powerful reality that um, some versions of the Bible, I believe it's in Mark, where it says that the Spirit took him from that baptism, from that recognition of who he was, and drove him immediately into the desert. If you go to uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, it says that the tempter then came to him and said, If you are the Son of God. Look at the tactics here. You see, for Jesus, Satan said, if you are the Son of God. For Eve in the garden, it was, did God really say? Calling into question who they are in God. Devil's primary tactic is always, always to call into doubt the truth of God's word. Always to make you question your identity in Him. What does this voice sound like in your life? It's more subtle, perhaps. Maybe that voice says to you, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't be doing this. Or maybe, if you really loved God, you wouldn't even want that. You're not even a good Christian. I mean, look at at these people over here, how much better they are than you are. You might as well just give up. Or maybe, if you were really saved, you wouldn't be suffering like you are right now. The questions may be different for everyone here. In the still quiet of the alone times, when the doubt comes, when the fear comes, when the unbelief comes, the motive is always to get you to doubt your position and identity in Christ. So I want you to remember this. In dealing with temptation, always remember who you are and always remember whose you are. You are a beloved child of the Most High God. So now that we've agreed that temptation is something that everyone deals with, and we realize that questioning our identity in Him is a primary tactic of the enemy, let's look at the three specific areas Jesus was tempted in while He was in the wilderness. And the first way He was tempted is to question God's provision. In Matthew 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, 
he, Jesus, was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now I ask you, have you ever been really hungry? And I'm not talking about the hunger that comes around 11.30 and the pastor is still preaching and you really, really want to get to lunch. I'm not talking about that kind of hungry. I'm talking about the kind of hungry where you haven't actually eaten in several days. I remember I went on a seven-day fast once when I was about to be ordained. And I still had to work during those seven days. And I remember uh, standing, I think I was on, I was, on day seven, I was actually going to break the fast at sundown. And it was about five o'clock in the afternoon in the fall. So sundown was coming pretty quick. And I got a call um, for a person having a seizure. And I remember I was so lightheaded and so weak in my body that I'm looking at this person seizing and I couldn't think of what to do. I mean, I was just that weak in my body that I couldn't have, I couldn't have withstood anything the devil threw at me during that time. And I can't even imagine of how famished Jesus must have been after 40 days. That's why Satan chose that time to come to him. That's why Satan chose that time to question his identity and then challenge him to turn stones into bread. Now, if you had the power to turn a stone into a cheeseburger, wouldn't it be really hard to fast? I mean, if you could tell that rock to become a Chick-fil-A sandwich, that temptation would be there to, to use that power that entire time. But what was really going on here? What was Satan trying to do? What was he trying to manipulate in Jesus? What he was trying to do is cause Jesus to question God's provision for him. In Jesus' case here, it was food. But for us, it's everything. It's having the latest and greatest. It's finances. It's clothes. It's a home to live in. It's gasoline. It's food. It's formula. All the things that are getting more and more expensive. I went yesterday to buy bologna and cheese and spent $20. <laughs> that should have been something that cost you know, $5 a year ago. $5, $6. However, in all these things, we look to God most high, the benevolent creator of the cosmos, and we need to trust that he will supply all of our needs. God isn't bankrupt, and God isn't infected by inflation or food shortages or any of these other things that are looming on the horizon. We have to remember that his word is always true. He will always provide for us. Here's a few verses to remember if you want to write them down. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Matthew 6.26 Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? In Psalm 23 verse 1 The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. A good shepherd always supplies the needs of his flock. And a good father supplies the needs for his kids. 
We have a good shepherd. We have a good father. And we can trust our needs will be met. All this to say, sometimes giving up the physical desires of the flesh reminds us that the only provision we really need comes from the hand of God. God will supply it. His word can be trusted. He'll give us everything we need for life if we trust him. And during this season where we are starting to see these limitations in supplies of gasoline, baby formula, food products, we're going to need to learn to trust that he is the one that supplies these needs. The second thing that Satan was caught, trying to cause Jesus to question is God's protection for him. In Matthew 4, verses seven or 5 through 7, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had a stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The second temptation of Jesus seems to, to, be causing, to try to cause him to doubt his father's protection of him. But Jesus had confidence in the care and concern of his well-being by God. He saw no such, thing, no such reason to do such a, a foolish thing. In fact, Jesus brings up a very important principle that we should not test the Lord. Now, what does that mean? It means if we're honest, in this age of grace, we often feel tempted to do foolish things just because God is a God of grace. And we think, well, God's going to forgive me anyway. If I really mess up, he can pick up all the pieces and put them back together. So I'm, I'm free to make bad decisions. Well, that's a very dangerous mindset to have. And it doesn't take into account that God bankrupted the entire universe by giving him the most valuable thing in all existence, his one and only son, to pay for our sins and to give us that grace. Yes, we know he will protect. Yes, we know he can work all things for the good. We know he is omnipotent, all-powerful, and nothing can derail his will. But sometimes, oftentimes, almost all times, you have to say no to that voice of temptation in your life. If you feel you're in a precarious situation, give some time to prayer. Call some trusted counselors and advisors. And exercise wisdom and caution through your decision-making. I'm 52 years old, and one of the things I've learned, there are very, 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 very few major decisions in life that are that time-sensitive, that can't wait a day. Haste makes waste. And every time I've made a, a decision that, on a, snap, a major decision, just like on the snap of a finger, instead of waiting and thinking about it, it's almost always gone bad. 
It's better to push the pause button than run headlong into a life-changing decision that turns out to be the wrong one. The scriptures say in Psalm 46, verse 1, that God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in time of trouble. The third thing the enemy will cast out upon is your position in God. Matthew 4, verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. The third and final temptation for Jesus was to worship Satan. And in doing so, Satan would give him all the kingdoms and dominion of this world. It seemed like an easy enough choice. Jesus would get the entire planet, wouldn't have to go to the cross, and could get what his mission was to, to be able to rule over the world. Satan was just going to give it to him. No cross, no beating, no scourging. He could get everything he wanted. But that wasn't his father's will. And the price was he would have to turn his back on his father and worship the deceiver. We're often given a choice to worship something other than God in order to get ahead and to receive earthly gain. The significance that comes from worshiping an idol like that is temporary and temporal and has no eternal value. We too must choose to worship God alone and trust in the significance that can only come from a relationship with Him. And as a beloved son or daughter of the Most High God, the Most High King, we will inherit an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. Many times we forget to look beyond this reality and see the glory that we are heading to. As believers, we often get distracted by worldly gain. But we need to regain an eternal perspective in the church so that we aren't led away from God's best. Because truth be told, the best is yet to come. Remember, your eternal position is greater than any promotion your boss can give. It's better than the promise of something that is temporary and sinful and exciting, but its end leads to death. It's better than casting aside your reputation for a temporary pleasure. The correct perspective for all of us should be this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all that other things will be given to you as well. As we wrap up this message, I want to show you that one thing was consistent every time the devil tempted Jesus. And that would be he responded 
with God's word. He responded with specific scripture, all of them from the book of Deuteronomy. The word of God is powerful. Hebrews 4.12, great verse to memorize. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. All decisions, all temptations, anything that comes from the strain neuron firing in our brain should be ran through the word of God. And as we go through this series in the next six weeks, I'd like to encourage you to recommit yourself to the word of God. Spend time reading it. Netflix will be there when you're done. Turn off the TV. It's all garbage. There's, whether you watch Fox, CNN, it's, it's all fallen right now. You can't trust any of it. Just turn it off. Spend time instead in the Word. Instead of letting all that drag you down, be lifted up by the Word of God. Find out creative ways to carve out time to spend with Jesus. This isn't just something that a, that a pastor standing up there to tell you to, to lift you up spiritually. This is going to become our only way to survive in these last days. It's to separate ourselves out from all that other mess and focus on Christ. Because you know what? The devil's not taking any time off. The Bible says that when he comes down, he comes with wrath because he knows his time is short. He is committing everything into this time right now. The time for being a lackadaisical, lukewarm Christian are over. You either commit or you'll fall away. I'm sorry, it's a binary choice right now. So I would encourage you to press in toward the high mark that Christ has called us to, so that when that trumpet sounds, we run into his arms as a close friend and not worried about what he's going to say, what we're doing when that trumpet sounds. Amen? Let's all stand. Father God, as we close our time together today, we recognize the era that we live in right now is something that is preparing the world for the great tribulation that is foretold in your word. We know the rise of the Antichrist is coming. We know the, the, the end times foretold by Jesus in Matthew 24 are coming right now. That the love of most has grown cold. That there will be a great apostasy that comes even in the church. All these things that you have foretold we're seeing come to light today at breathtaking, blinding speed. So Lord, let your people stand firm during this time. Place within us a spiritual backbone that will stand no matter what waves and what winds come against us. 
Help us to put on the full armor of God during this time. Not to charge, not to fight, but as your word, the armor of God is given to us to stand. Stand firm and see the salvation of our Lord. Give us that kind of heart today, Lord. Renew that warrior's heart within us, that we can stand against temptation. We can stand against popular opinion. We can stand no matter if it's just you and us. We know that we are on the winning team. Father God, we thank you. And I pray, Lord, that you create within us a hunger for your word, a hunger for time with you, a hunger that seeks to follow you, to seek your kingdom and your righteousness first and foremost in our lives. Father God, I thank you. I bless your people now. Make them ambassadors for Jesus Christ this week and shine the light of the gospel into the world that you have called them to. Lord God, I bless them and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.